There are obviously tens of thousands of innocent people currently languishing in prison in the United States. And so the Innocence Project is in a race against time. Time. They say criminals should be locked in prison, but they living in a big house that's white. It's not right. We gotta fight. They don't lock up corporate criminals that ruin the planet. Jails filled with nonviolent offenders, and it's tragic. Mistreated, got heated, how they treated like animal corporations in big countries, like cannibals for capital. The actual conditions in prison, they meant for living. It's like torture, they give it with night fights and listening. Rehabilitation, uh-huh. correction, or directions, corruption, they got gangs. They can stop the way it's running. They makes coming hours. They emerge with dysfunction. Prison abolition is written on by Gotta stop the property in prison, get driven and change it. Yeah. Societal conditions causing equality and robbery. Technology is something that's not distributed across to America. One can afford the right lawyer's price. The other goes to jail for like 25 to life. Not given rehabilitation and incarceration. The United States is the only democracy on this planet that executes its prisoners. There is still the idea that if you've been arrested, you did something. There's no escape. It's all about profit. No stopping rape in this place. They give no contraception for protection. So you know AIDS is spreading infected with no discredit. Never gave reparations for slavery and bad habits. It's packed with mostly blacks and Hispanics. It's riddled with a lot who got time that's innocent. I start to explain with the hurricane's pain. It's a shame. There's so much racism in the system. Daryl Hunt was innocent but served 20 years of prison. His innocence was presented with DNA evidence. Similar things often happen. It happened to Charles Chapman. It happened to Arthur Logan. There's so many we don't know. And Dilly, we've been calling for them to let Mamiya go. And Mandela the 27 in a place that's like the opposite of heaven. Rockefeller drug laws is used as a weapon in deception of detention. How come these men are free? Free. Free. Because DNA testing proved that they didn't do it. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. Discrimination in the past readily is left present. Evidently, you can see they should end the death penalty. Yeah. They ready with the facts and what happened to Aaron Patterson. The Innocence Project helps the innocent to shackle it. Movie after innocence, after you witness it, you see the significance of changing the whole system. It's the real Shawshank Redemption that needs attention. A pile of marijuana should be locked in detention. Yeah. These inmates by the school makes them stay in high tents. Cops get take orders from this demonic sheriff's death. Many inmates on death row was exonerated, showing the penalty of death can't be tolerated. Have the right funds, get the records expunged. It's a fund of insanity, a system that had to be changed up dramatically. Factually, it's actually one of the worst ways of not acting democratically. Torture and solitary, prisoner abuse is not very conducive to solutions. It's quite the contrary. It's way too overcrowded, but do they care? I doubt it, because it's not about logic. It's that they pocket in the property. Because you're actually nothing. All you are is something locked in a cage back and forth every day. In actuality, all our family should be up here with us because they all suffer. For every one of us up here, there's hundreds more in prison that don't belong here. Everything in your life is wonderful, and then one day, somebody comes up and tells a lie on you and you end up in jail. I had to fight despite lawyers. Despite prosecutors who tried to destroy evidence, I had to fight, had to fight, had to fight, had to fight. My mom and dad spent over $150,000 on lawyer fees. That was their retirement money. I'm not just trying to get compensation for me. I'm trying to get compensation for the guys that come out before me, for the guys that's going to come out after me. You see, this is my reason, my reason. Hey, so you see any justice, you must step up and do something about it. And that's what we're trying to do out here now. Hello there, this is Lee Gaylord, and I am doing the injustice system. 
the song you just heard is by The Truth. And I love that song because I agree with it. And the reason I play the whole thing in the beginning of the show is because I feel that it's important to listen. And you can understand the words. But today, the reason I've been off the air for the last two weeks because I moved. And I took some time to move. I, uh, I only had three blocks to move to. And it was... Uh, Every day I take two or three loads, and I don't drive, so I use my handy suitcase with the wheels on it, and I was able to put boxes with it too. And then uh, I had movers move the furniture. And I had a problem with my cat because I couldn't take her with me. So I gave her to some people in the building, and I was living in a, a according to one of the local newspapers, the best haunted hotel in the Detroit area, and it was a, a nice place to live if you like ghosts, and I like ghosts. As long as they're nice to me, I'll be nice to them. But from there, I lived on the 15th floor. According to the elevator, it was the 16th, but there they didn't have a 13th. It's half hotel and, and half apartments. And uh had a beautiful view of downtown Detroit. I could see the stadium where the Tigers play and the... And, uh, uh, Ford Field, which is where the Lions play, and uh, on Saturday, Friday, and Saturday nights after the Tigers games, they always had, had fireworks. Where I moved to, though, I can't see the fireworks, but I can hear them. Right now, I live between a high-end hotel and a Catholic church. The high-end hotel has, has condos in it, too, that uh, run over a million dollars for three bedrooms and a living room and four bathrooms. And what they are is four her hotel rooms put together. And now I have a view of almost all of downtown. My, I'm on the 15th floor, and actual 15th floor, because we do have a 13. And I can watch. There's a park below me where, where many of the homeless go. And I can see a lot of the good and the bad of the city just from where I am. And when I walk out, there's people of all types. I see a lot of people in wheelchairs who are 
drug addicts lost their limbs where they were shooting up and I know a lot of them and I feel as though a lot of them are my friends and one time one of them said that not the one in a wheelchair but one of the street people told me after my surgery that they all prayed for me while I was in surgery and that no matter where I go, what time of night, they got my back. And that really made me feel good. But let's get on with the business of the injustice system. Tonight I'm going to read some letters from people in prison and one from a mother of a prisoner. Uh, I think he's out now. Uh, I think she wrote it after he was out. And uh, But first I'm going to read a letter from Carl Drew. And he calls it Carl Drew story as told by Carl Drew. Legal persecution. At a time when society had become quickly aware of the numerous indiscretions of our various legal systems, my side of most legal persecution action can be told. It is important. My maze of legal manipulation and persecution for my beliefs and background be brought to the surface. The public is no longer kept in the dark, nor does it permit legal and public agencies to hide their corrupt activities any longer. They have finally become accountable for their actions within our law enforcement ranks. And before starting, let me be honest and clear. The deception of withholding evidence and legal manipulation that are exposed today were commonplace years ago. Although we may not wish to admit it or agree in public, it is very true. Everyone who can recall the days gone by paid witnesses to paid witness to this time and time again. Their comments and most in those days were, what can we do about it? They're police. So we permitted the legal right to ruin the people's lives and that was okay as long as they left us alone. We are basically entertained by it all. Before I go on, I want to say that Carl says, talks about it being in the past, but it's still happening. Just as much, if not more. And people are afraid to do anything about it. Even judges, of course, and a lot of the judges are involved in it, too. But a judge can 
know that a cop is lying, but he'll let it go and side with the cop, even though he knows it's wrong, but he's afraid of the cop. Uh, people are afraid of the cops and the judges, and they should be in a lot of cases. I'm not saying they're all bad. I'm saying that there are bad apples in the barrel. And the sad thing is the good apples don't do anything about getting rid of the bad apples. But back to Carl's story. My name is Carl Drew. I've been incarcerated for the past 21 years. I'm presently 47 years old. Some may be familiar with my case as it develops sort of a weird group of followers. For those of you who are not familiar, I was convicted of murder. I didn't commit. Back in the early 1980s, it was given a, a statute, a, a statute of being a cult murder by law enforcement agencies involved in the case. This was never substantial, uh, substantiated except through witnesses who were attempting to save themselves from the involvement they had in these crimes. Back in the late 1970s and early 80s, I resided in New England town of Fall River, Massachusetts. It was young. I was young and full of energy and living on my own. I came from a poor background and was basically developed into a street kid. Learning the harsh realities of the street and the survival skills that come with in such a way of life, much the way people today who have run away from home and have been forced to into the street life and are living and surviving. My life surely was not positive and polished as most young people. It was a way of life was it was a way of life for my behavior. As it was the only behavior I knew being from poor family and a daily struggle survival, I did not complete my education. I achieved only eighth grade education. Many of those local kids of my area were pretty much in the same boat. Many of us formed friendships and attempted to be supportive of one another. We involved ourselves in life, a life that could best be described as savory and staying polite. Surely, many would find that we involved ourselves in as objectionable. Again, it was only the way we knew to survive. As I grew up and became an adult, I came to know people on the street as family. No excuses, no poor me attitude, just the way life was. As young adults go their way to college courses on a daily basis, my lessons were learned from the college of the street. 
and the herd way. Some of us form pretty tight group and became involved in profiting from our streetways. As I said, we became a family to one another. Little did I realize the jealousy, deceit, and the evil towards certain individuals in the group. They had their differences, but I never knew the depth. Robin Murphy was one of those people. Uh, a young girl who fashioned herself a bit as a pimp of a, a pimp. She was a lesbian and very protective of her girls. Of course, this was only because the girls let her feel she was in charge. On her own, she was weak and truly held little control of the group in general of the group in general. To an outsider, she appeared strong and controlling. Some may think that we lived a life, life on the edge. You have to keep in mind that it was the only thing that we knew. It was the way we raised ourselves with little to no alternative left us in those days. People were more free-spirited in the free-spirited effects of the times and not worrying about what was happening with the kids on their, left on their own in the street. Some of us came to believe in the Gothic lifestyle of ancient times where we lived life by night. In many ways, this was to avoid authority. No evil, dark, macabre nonsense. We found interest in what was described as a gothic way, something real that could be savored and relished, and just enjoying the whole beauty and aspects of our world of survival. We each conducted ourselves in our private lives as well as shared friendships. Understand that I am not avoiding the reality that we were indeed involved in prostitution and acts that many may feel unsavory. This is how we survived in the street, how we supported ourselves. As wrong as you might judge the action, again, there was little alternative left to us at the time. It is much the way it is in the present time with the young kids who run away for one reason or another, left on the street to fend for themselves. The differences of them and today, they are fortunate enough to have organizations that will help come forward and help them. We weren't that fortunate. I learned that one of our group had disappeared. I was questioned by the police. But could be of little help. I knew nothing about the disappearance. In fact, I had learned about it from the police. 
themselves. It was a girl named Doreen. I explained what had happened the last time I saw her, which was nothing out of the ordinary. Little seemed to develop as to why Doreen was missing or what happened to her. Soon another group of our group disappeared, Barbara, both of which had no, I had no knowledge of. Come to pass that Doreen was found murdered at a vocational high school yard, and Barbara's body was behind a factory. Both had been murdered in strange ways. Their murders were complete shock to me and concerned everyone in our circle on the street. We all realized how dangerous street life could be. This drove it home to all of us. As was to be suspected, the police started rounding up people for questioning. Next thing I knew, I was being hauled into the police station and being accused of the murders. I was suddenly thrown in the middle of a mass nightmare that involved macabre accusations of devil worship and human sacrifice. Totally off-the-wall accusations that was out of my throat like it was out of some thriller novel. None true as far as I was involved and Nothing like that was being said. I denied it all. But might have as well been shouting to do when. All my protests fell on death ears. I was accused of, as far as the justice system was concerned, guilty of whatever was said. Who's going to pay attention to the street kid from a poor dysfunctional background? I had been thrown into the legal rules, and that was it. I became a focal point of anyone's wild, macabre, conjuring imagination of some of the fictitious nightmare. Whatever they wanted to develop in their imagination became reality and descriptive form upon me. Nothing based on material evidence, factual stories, or hard facts was ever presented. All purely circumstantial and the overactive imagination of the police and prosecutor. These are the stories presented to the jury. Third item was found, which was labeled as a part of the victim on the case. That of a girl by the name of Karen. It was part of the skull. They said by the x-rays that they were able to match the sinus areas up and identify the skull parts as hers. Anyone looking at the skull could tell that there was not a match. In fact, the X-ray of Karen and the part found strongly appeared to be two different sizes. 
The whole case revolves around tales of a 17-year-old girl named Robin Murphy. The leader I described earlier. They pounded her with threats that would what would happen to her if she didn't cooperate. Made deals as to what they could do for her and what rewards would be given if she told them just what they wanted to hear. It didn't take long before Robin was saying just what they wanted to hear and gave their version in her words. It didn't matter that one of their own had uncovered the truth and attempted to tell them they were about to place an innocent man on trial. Detective Paul Carey had been involved in the case for a very long time. He had done extensive investigation in the case and knew it back and forth. The following are Detective Carey's words. Now, this is how innocent people end up in prison. It's the police force others to testify and say what the police tell them to say. And a lot of cases, the actual killer is the one who is the key witness. Undercover in a murderous cult, a case one detective will never forget, March 23, 1999, by Paul Carey. Fall River, Massachusetts, APEBnews.com. It was a case of sex, father, and Satanism. A woman was beheaded. Two others had their, had their skulls crushed. Crime scenes were littered with human as well as animal bones. It was the weirdest multiple murder case I ever saw as a detective sergeant in the Fall River Department. Not only did I go undercover to attend the Satan worship ritual, I even bought the beer. It all began in October 1979 with a dead body beneath the bleachers of Vocational High School here. We added the corpses to Irene Levesque, a runaway from foster home in New Bedford. She had been working as a prostitute in Fall River's Red Light District. Hands bound and skull crushed. The young woman's hands were bound behind her back, and her head had been caved in and with a rock. There were signs of peculiar sexual activities. Three months later, another woman's body turned up. This one was found in a wooded area behind a local printing plant. She was identified as Barbara Raposo, 22. Like the victim, her skull was crushed with a rock and her hands were bound behind her back. The slaying had ritual overtones to it. Three months before her body was found, Raposo 
also a prostitute, was reported missing by her boyfriend, Andre Maltiest, 44, of New Bedford. We interviewed Maltiest. He told us the second dead woman was a devil worshiper. We later discovered that Maltiest was part of the same devil worship group that held some of its rituals in the same area. We also stumbled on another relevant name, Robin Murphy, a 17-year-old prostitute and pimp who was a former girlfriend of Maltese. We learned that Maltese had ended up in a long-running relationship with Murphy in order to become her polo's lover. Hurrying over the crime scene, Maltese told the investigators that he had a dream of hovering over the crime scene and Rapolo's body. Where Rapolo's body was found. Apparently, he saw or remembered too much while he was hovering. District Attorney had him arrested and charged with Rapolo's murder. Poses murder. When she was, was questioned, Murphy fingered Maltese as her poses killer and agreed to turn state evidence and in return for a lighter sentence. But there is still a killing of the Levesque to solve. We had long heard Satanist satanic rituals taking place in that area, but never had the cause to investigate. Then a woman had helped, I helped years ago, told me the satanic group periodically met in her apartment. More importantly, she told me that Raposa and Murphy and a man identified as Carl Drew, 25, all came to the satanic rates there. I told my partner, let's go. We're going to meet Satan. <coughs> six-pack and Satan. We got two six-packs of beer and went to the apartment. <coughs> we didn't tell anyone we were cops. People started to arrive, including Drew. And <coughs> a known pimp and Murphy. A known pimp and Murphy. They were soon joined by a woman named Karen Marston, who later ended up as the third victim of satanic slave. At the apartment, we watched satanic ritual. A strange chance, the Hail Satan announcement indicated that Satan had entered the room. <coughs> Pimps and prostitutes. We later found out that Drew had been pimping for Levesque. The first victim. At the time she was ordered murdered, and that Murphy was pimping for Marston, it was an ugly tangle. But we always thought Marcia 20 was the key. We later interviewed her about the murders of Alaska and Raposa. <coughs> she was nervous and cried. 
We started to believe that she might have been at the scene when the murders occurred. She wouldn't admit that she took part or saw anything. I was supposed to meet and interview her again a week later, but she disappeared. I knew she was dead. Human skull on animal bones. Marson's skull was found about six months later. When we searched the area, we found cat skulls, sheep bones, some jewelry belonging to Marston. We also found large clumps of hair ripped out of the, by the roots that we believed were from her head. But Marston's possessions were found about a half mile away. We found a ring and a, and a, with the symbol of the devil on it. It was spooky. Mateus gets life. When Mateus went to trial for Rapose's murder, it was pres- Murphy was the prosecution's key witness. She convinced the DA to grant her immunity in exchange for her testimony, and she was present at the slaying of Raposa and participated in Marston's murder. I thought it was a bad move to grant Murphy immunity. I still believe that she was the ringleader behind all the slaves. And in Marston killing, in the Marston killing, Murphy's testimony painted a grisly scene. She said that Drew ordered Marston killing in the nighttime ritual because a young woman wanted to leave the cult. She said Drew also killed a rescue and that the two girls' souls were offered to sleep. Drew, she testified, ordered her to cut Marshall's throat after he crushed the victim's skull with a rock. She said that Drew whispered words in a strange language using blood from a body to paint the cross on the forehead and then was wrenched, wrenched the head from the body with his bare hands. Murphy told uh, the jury that Drew had called himself the son of Satan. Murphy admitted that Raposa, the second victim, was her lover and was involved in her prostitution ring. Matthias continually denied that he murdered Raposa and was involved in a devil cult. However, he was convicted of Raposa's murder in 1981 and sentenced to life and murder without pleading guilty to second degree. After pleading guilty to second degree murder. Overlapping love triangles. But I still believe that Murphy was really or not true. Levesque was murdered because Murphy was also in love with her and became jealous when Levesque started seeing Drew. I believe Mercy, Murphy and Marston were present when Levesque was killed. I think Murphy killed Raposa because Raposa was in love with Maltese. Murphy admitted that she and Raposa had been lovers. And I believe Murphy killed Marston because of two previous murders. 
Marston was at the scene of those murders, and I believe Murphy knew she was a weak link that might be convicted, although Murphy later admitted during and the Levesque investigation that she lied in naming two other men as Levesque's killers. She later told the DA that she didn't even know the men and she had accused. The DA was then forced to release the men. No one was ever prosecuted in the murder of Levesque. Maltese died in prison thinking that he was the agent for the police, and the agent for the police. He was mentally ill. I visited Drew in prison a few weeks ago, and I'm convinced that Murphy, not Drew, who ran the whole cult with the prostitution arena. Murphy was a dominant personality in the cult and had the motives to commit the slaying. To this day, I'm still not satisfied Drew is present names of murders, but he's in for life. Murphy will soon be eligible for, for parole. She denied, was denied parole about five years ago. The deals were struck, and Robin Murphy decided to tell their tale. <sighs> Decided to tell their tale to the jury. They treated her like a princess, provided accommodations to keep her comfortable, and even drove her to get drugs when she requested them. They had succeeded in scarring the wits out of scaring the wits out of a seventeen-year-old street kid, then treated her. In a to a temporary life of all she wanted. All to assure the story came before the court. Real or not, it didn't matter. The trial began, and we were appointed as attorneys that fumbled their way through the whole trial. If they had any experience, it sure wasn't reflected in their skills during the court. Their attempt to show my innocence was weak to say the least. The local police and district attorney's office threatened and manipulated the witnesses and experts. The publicity it was so exploited that they had to change the location of the trial. It was placed in the predominant Catholic community. All done so, uh, the, the reaction to anyone with a gothic way of life and background would be conceived as evil. The trial had not started, and they were setting up a situation guaranteeing conviction. Guilt or innocence wasn't a factor. It was a goal of conviction. Evidence was presented that is to appear to be connected to the defendant. Even though they could never make a direct tie between me and and what they presented, the words were manipulated and presentation is so found profound as to the appearer's fact. Again, it was obvious that they did not match the naked eye by the naked eye. 
Needless to say, after all the theatrics, the verdict was guilty. They would have convicted a rock based on the fictitious information they piled on. After my conviction, a book titled Mortal Remains came out. It was filled with nonsense and false statements presented in court. It surely does not reflect the truth of the situation. Even when unknown and available to the author of evidence, it was would prove innocence. That, but that wouldn't sell someone's book now, would it? I have corresponded with people over the years about my story and various information. Would you believe that some of those cards and letters I have sent have ended up in an internet auction? One girl's sister who I used to write to and who passed away is selling private correspondence that I sent her to see sister, yet I portrayed uh, I'm, I'm portrayed as a ghoul. I am seeking information that would or help if any anyone could lend. As you can imagine, and this is has become an overwhelming life situation. I know. With the right help, this case could be overturned. Robin Murphy, after trial and all the promises made to her were broken, finally told the truth. She admitted she lied to the police and the DA. Although too late, if you feel that you can help in some way, please write. Carl Drew. W38104 MCI Shirley Medium PO Box 1218 <coughs> Shirley MA01464 or you can go to Carl Drew's website carldrewsfight.com And also, in all the cases that I talked to you about, Google them. And Google the name. And what I normally do is I give the name, the state, and prisoner. And Usually, the first two or three are websites that I have the stories on. And, but then you'll see the other side of the story, too. Uh, in Carl's case, what you see is, is hor- horrific, I guess you'd say. And, but I believe Carl's side of the story. Some people may disagree. 
now I got a letter from my mother and her name is Anna Step and she's from North Carolina. I'm just gonna read the letter without any other introduction. Due to many voices of concerned citizens, a swift decline in our nation's economy, and enormous errors of our criminal justice system are under more scrutiny than ever. We are uniting as Americans through organizations, coalitions, and an effort to enlist community involvement and rehabilitation of the accused in lieu of incarceration. The methodology of our religious groups, our community organizations, and our social service agencies, along with civic groups, corporations, and researchers are varied. There is stronger indication that a way of rehabilitation by way of community partnerships is viable alternative to the current method of punishment. Alarming rate of recidivism, recidivism is testimony to something else is needed. The amount of tax dollars required to continue this placebo treatment is phenomenal. And finally, getting some attention from some long overdue sources. President Bush is advocating a combination of drug courts with spiritual counseling and, and has committed to increase the available funds and type of partnership programs. Currently, several states have successfully implemented a, a coordination of community partnerships that may or may not include spiritual counseling. But these states offer statistics to prove the effectiveness of this approach and alternative to prison confinement. Although the manner and methods of delivery and elements in the areas of concentration and available support systems differ greatly, these alternative methods consider consistently reveal uniformity in structure and long-term goals. Examples of the successful community partnerships include institutions based on readiness programs, institutional and community assessment centers, reentry courts, supervised as for electronic monitoring, boarding houses, monitored boarding houses, mentoring programs, and community correction centers. The elements of these programs include, one, inmate preparation, offering institutional-based programs designed and to prepare offenders to re-enter society, which involve areas of education, mental health, substance abuse treatment, job training, mentoring, by religious and civic organizations for diagnostic and risk assessment. Number two, community-based transition programs to begin 
and prior to and immediately following inmate eight release from correctional institutions. These services will include appropriate reiteration of previous phase adding and the monitoring and progress by the appropriate officials. Three, community-based long-term programs, support programs connected to individuals who have left supervision of the justice system with a network of social services and community-based organizations to provide ongoing services and mentoring relationships. There is scientific as well as clinical data that the implementation of behavior modification programs utilized in correctional communities are an integral, effective component of rehabilitation alternatives. The importance of professional assessments at the onset of sentencing is necessary involvement of family health care professionals and community organizations cannot be stressed enough. Fortunately, at the time of my life when I was destined to become engulfed in the penal system, I participated in a program that provided educational tool for someone for anyone interested in making changes that could possibly keep him or her from relapsing and reoffending. A program called Framework of Breaking Barriers. It was written by ex inmate Gordon Graham, who facilitated by a previous offender who was working toward a degree in psychology at the time, volunteering at a facility that was currently housed, housed in a working a full-time job as a mechanic. That program saved my life. It showed me without uh, preaching or judging me that there, where I had, had gone wrong, and I learned the reasons for my mistakes. Now taking the responsibility for my actions instead of blaming others would ensure my destruction and, and how uh, my, my old habits and information had brought me to my present misery. I was then given the tools to change my thinking and change my habits and realize my own accountability. I became a certified facilitator for the Breaking Barriers program by way of sponsorship through a wonderful organization that continues to help rehabilitation areas. My honest-to-God belief that this program and my never-ending passion to deliver it brought about changes in the rehab community that were founded so was so profound that I was being endorsed by the correction officials, 12-step groups, and even therapists. I volunteered anywhere and anytime I was invited. I taught rehab centers and even no probation at the local jails and halfway houses. When I started uh, 
college I was as was expected I had to stop my volunteer efforts and concentrate full time on my studies. Full time jobs and full time single motherhood. I lost touch with the program and my associations with breaking barriers. Since my remarriage four years ago, relocating to South Carolina, I was fortunate enough to have the time to volunteer again. After many hours of soup kitchens, meals on wheels, and other charities, I realized that my heart was not in it like it used to be. I realized I needed to be back in the jails, prisons, and rehabs. I needed to be giving back tools that were so generously given to me. I needed to help those who, who were struck, stuck in places that I was stuck in in order to be feel useful. I tried to find a breaking barriers program locally and failed. No one had heard of it, but everyone was interested in finding out more about it. I attempted to contact Gordon Graham and company at the address and phone numbers I kept for 10 or so years and failed. Late one night, my phone rang, and there's a woman identifying herself as the mother of 18-year-old son's girlfriend in Wisconsin. My 18-year-old son's girlfriend in Wisconsin. He had finally been arrested and was in county jail up there. I was relieved, finally, he, he may reconsider his life and his addiction and actually take advantage of his opportunities. In an effort to help find my son, help for my son through the program that I knew could make a difference in, in his life, I called the jail. Not only was I promised that the program would be offered to him, I was given the contact information. I saw it. After so, for so long, I discovered that Graham and Company had developed several other programs, and one of them focuses on reentry phase of incarceration, of incarceration and difficulties in finding employment, maintaining healthy relationships, and understanding outside the world and coping with many changes that would affect person on release. As Unbreaking Barriers, a curriculum of this new realities program is based on the belief that there is a body of knowledge found in cognitive psychology which, psychology, which when effectively taught, allows people to break the inhabiting, inhibiting cycles of conditioning and becoming happier and fuller, fulfilled human beings. It takes into, into account the fact that many people instinctively reject the idea that they, they may be based be based in their lives on incomplete, inaccurate information of themselves. The systematic process facilitating workshops, Gordon skillfully guides participants towards understanding and acceptance. One, change is possible. Two, current reality is a result 
difficult of beliefs and habits and attitudes that have that we have adopted in the past that our future is determined by beliefs and habits and attitudes that we adopt today that it is possible to choose our beliefs and habits and attitudes in order to reach our goals my son is now awaiting sentencing but he is equipped with the tools given him by the same person at the same institution where I found my own tools. Whether he uses them or not is up to him. The only time will tell. I have now made the commitment to introduce the program to others. Like it. And have been and so very successful in corrections, addictions, and domestic violence cases. I have asked for for and been granted permission and allocation training and distribution of these cognitive programs by Gordon Graham and I'm currently working on nonprofit church ministries and with free entry programs personal uh, and probation parole departments and correction officials. I will soon be moving from Greensville Oh, South Carolina to Columbia, South Carolina. It was still my intention to become involved with one or more community partnerships programs and eventually volunteer my time and experience others. Anyone interested, please send me an email. I need help with heart, especially Hey, those who are in recovery and, and personal background or anyone who is suffering through the consequences of irrational making has, has made a step to the other side. I only have three minutes left. And I got a quick thing. A rape victim sends to natural life. I'm going to have to do this quickly. Betty Jean Lewis. But, uh, I'm not going to have time for this. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about Betty Broden, who was next week and Betty was sentenced to life in prison for murder when she was being raped she was being raped and she was uh, uh, he had a gun to her head she got the gun and killed him according to New Orleans though Rape is not a crime, therefore she committed murder. Now, it doesn't make sense, but we'll talk about that next time. I want you all to have a good weekend, even though it's halfway over. And I hope that you listen to me next week.
Thank you, and have a good night.